much for your time this morning. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Thank great. you for having us. Busy, busy talking about Neptune Frost. What's what's the reception been like for the piece? Well, it's been uh, overwhelmingly uh, thoughtful and, and exciting. I mean, people, I think, are, are excited to see a film that, well, for us, we're excited to see a film with people that looks like us, but also that tells a story in a way that is perhaps a little different from the way that the, you know, mainstream cinema approaches cinema. That's a musical that, that has a different approach to musicality in film. Um, there's a lot of unique points in the film, and so I think there's a, in its reception, there's a level of excitement about what is possible, not just in independent cinema, but in cinema itself. Um, so overall, I think it's been cool. Yeah, it's touching. People are very, uh, you know, receptive and touched, and um, they show a lot of emotions, a lot. Can you sum up Neptune Frost in one sentence? Is that possible? Neptune Frost is a story of an intersex runaway and a Colton miner, and what happens when their two worlds connect. It's a very layered film. How did you come up with the concept for Neptune Frost? Because, I mean, your imagination astounds me, to be honest. <laughs> so, how, how, did, how did you get there with the... It's a musical, mm -hmm. it's science fiction, is Afrofuturism? Well, for us, it was always a science fiction musical, and we were inspired by uh, a number of, of real-world things that were happening when the idea was born, which is about 2012, and, and you, saw, you had the Arab Spring, you had WikiLeaks, you had Chelsea Manning, you had, uh, across the continent, a bunch of American evangelists who had coerced you know, African governments into passing anti-gay laws. You have us learning about the phenomenon of e-waste camps and also about coltan and cobalt and the precious minerals that are mined uh, primarily on the African continent that fuel modern day technology. And of course, there's the connections to be made between all of the resources that have always fueled Western wealth and capitalism coming from the continent. So all of these things were were, were there and, and in many ways are connected. Um, and we wanted to tell a story that, that spoke of that connection. I think also the layering was a way for us to allow each character to have a real space, uh, which is rare in a narrative, right? You usually see a narrative that goes straight to what, what has to be said and the next, you know, move of, 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 of the story. And here we wanted to spend time with a lot of characters because they all come from different places and they all have their arch and you kind of follow all of them through their journey uh, until they meet and form that collective and we want to also to, 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 to give a, a new sensation on what it is to be inside that type of collective so it, it required a lot of, of levels of you know um, storytelling there's different points of inspiration like um, on one hand we, th we were thinking about the fact that when these precious minerals are all mined and sourced in the continent and this is the continent where you know we bury our dead and where we farm and where we live and what have you and it's like well if that power is in the land is that power not in us? And so that was one of the sparks of just like, well, what if where or, or someone realizes their, their sense of being born with that power? 
also speaking to the idea of the drum as the original um, form of wireless communication, making that connection between uh, drum patterns as coding and software coding. Um, you know, so once we got into it, there was so much more to unpack and play with. And we took our time playing with that and and uh, and really made a film that, that we would want to see and that we knew we wouldn't be alone in, in sharing the excitement and seeing a film like this. So you said you came up with the concept around 2012 um, and the film was out last year 2021 nine years how come it took so long to, to get it to, to realize it for me i i think that's completely normal i understand that People feel like they live in a hustle culture or what have you, but our goal was to make something timeless. And we were world building and doing a lot of research. The bibliography of this film is immense. Um, we did a lot of traveling, we did a lot of studying, we did a lot of talking to people, we did a lot of preparation, all in hopes of making something timeless. This was not a, a cash-in, exploitative thing. We were like, we need to turn this around quickly. It's a new startup, I have a great app. I have to get it out before someone else comes out with the same idea. You know, it was never at risk of that. Um, and so when we started conceptualizing it, we were conceptualizing it initially as a stage play that we intended to take to Broadway or the West End, something like that. And we, we even did a writer's residency in 2014 where we developed the, the stage play and we introduced that script to a producer, uh, to the producer of Fela, the musical, actually, who loved it and said, I love this, but I'd be more excited to invest if it were a film. And we took a little bit of time to think about that and decided, yeah, and that's still our lead producer. Once we realized we were shifting it into a film that allowed us to do other things like shoot on location, like introduce new actors and new faces and new language and all this stuff for a broader sphere than just the people who, you know, the theater ticket buying public. And so it became very exciting to do that. And so then we went to Rwanda in 2016 to, uh, to shoot a sizzle reel. Um, and we began our casting process then. And then we did crowdfunding in 2018. And the whole time we were on schedule. I think we went in knowing um, that we would do a special film, knowing that it would be, um, you know, a film that we had to, to protect in ways, uh, to be able to have the cast that we wanted to have, to be able to be truthful to the story that we wanted to tell. And so for that, we knew it would take like time, that we couldn't like cut angles, right? Yeah. That we had to stay on our path and be very, um, you know, focused on um, not cutting edges, not taking shortcuts and things like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was thinking of like the, the George Lucas, Star Wars world building angle of just like, these are characters that will exist long after I do. So what exactly is the rush? You know, I, I want to make sure that this thing works. It was set in Burundi, but filmed in Rwanda. So what made you decide to pick that part of the world to make it? And to set it, actually, as well? The dream was um, Burundi, because Burundi has an aura of mystery. And in 2015, Burundi went into political unrest and uh, it became impossible to access Burundi. 
and I am from Rwanda. I'm born in Rwanda, and you know it's sibling countries to speak the same language and it's the same landscape. And so we were like, let's do it in Rwanda. Let's see if it's possible. And we went in 2016 and the synergy that happened in 2016 in Kigali, which also included Burundian refugees, because a lot of students, artists, uh, poets, etc., had, you know, run away from from uh, the unrest, and they were all in Kigali. And also, we met the new generation of artists from Kigali, and it was all so, you know, energizing. And they were all like very into the story, and really like, you know, started to carry. Um, as like further than what we were ever imagining, yeah. and so yeah, their excitement really also fed our our engagement and and the decision of like yeah, we definitely should do it here. Um, but also, I mean, the story and and everything about it was born out of conversations between Anisia and I. I mean, Anisia is my entry point into Rwanda and and into um, you know thinking about co-directing the film, you know? Because honestly, I never considered that it was possible for myself. But with a partner and with the synergistic, like complementary nature of our creative, you know, expression, it suddenly seemed possible. Now, it flips between languages all the way through, right? Mm -hmm. English and French. I think it's what some career Rwanda in there as well. Was that scripted or did the actors take that on themselves? How did that work? It's mostly in Kenya Rwanda and a little bit of French, a little bit of English, really uh, minimalistic. And some Kirundi. And some Kirundi and some Swahili. I mean, it reflects the way uh, kids are talking today on the continent, yeah. and most particularly, I guess, uh, in East Africa, where you have a convergence of people that came and went, etc. And so people today, and that was one fascinating thing yeah. for you, so, right? Yeah. It was that yeah. people speak on the regular, like, five languages. Yeah, they switch according to like which expression works best in which language, you know? And so I'd be sitting there with a bunch of Rwandan and Burundian, you know, artists and hearing them flip between languages. And I've had this experience, of course, in some way, shape or form as an American artist traveling, but not with the frequency of how many languages were being spoken by these people at this point. And, and so that also became an exciting thing of like wanting the film to reflect that language as technology as well. Um, the script was written in English and then we worked with poets and musicians, writers, uh, to translate it. And even in the translating, there are times when, you know, a musician would be like, who, who was Burundian, could, who was fully capable of translating into Kinyaranda, Swahili, French, English, well, it didn't have to be translated English, would be like, I think this song is going to work better in Kirundi. And so that's how it happened. Or this song, th no, this one I want to do in French because it works better that way. And so that kind of freedom was, was given. So yeah, there yeah. were translators, two type of translators, a poet, musician for the lyrics, and then um, uh, two women for, for the dialogues. And then I think 
the actress like kind of made the dialogue there sometimes. What's a scene that best um, best describes or best illustrates the essence of what Neptune Frost is all? I think there are a few, a few but. Maybe the one I want to talk about is the one, the opening scene, which really uh, revealed that it's a musical. And in the same time that those drums going to have a real role, that it's going to be something that is just more than music. And so that scene for me is in the mine, uh, when, where you see the workers suddenly becoming the heartbeat of uh, one of the main characters, Mataluza, who just lost um, his brother. And you have all the elements, the magicality of the stone that the brother is carrying. And the scene that comes to mind for me is the transformation, when Neptune steps into their power. And that's also very much what the film is about. It's, it's, it's a coming-of-age story, in a way, of, of all of these different individuals stepping into their power. You talked about the drums being the heartbeat of that scene, uh, and the music is really the heartbeat of the film all the way through and throughout. Who did you work with on the music, and how did you come up with all the different songs? You talked about them being in, sometimes being in different languages because it would work better. So, for me, the first layer of world-building was the music before I even had characters or even a storyline completely, we had discussed it and began conceptualizing the idea and I immediately started searching for sounds. Maybe one of the first songs that I wrote for the film um, is a song called Burundi. In that song, lyrically, is actually me in real time mapping out the story of the film. And then from there, there was a level of excitement that I, because the next song I think that I wrote for the film was Think Like They Book Say, which in the film is sung in, in French by, by Mataluza. That was exciting rhythmically and a little deeper into mapping out the story. Both of those songs are on my album, uh, Marta Loser King. And as we were, I was working on that album, we were working on Neptune Frost. Those were songs that I knew were actually just demos or reference songs that would be presented to the translators and the actors of what they would be singing in the film. Then the next layer of creation had to do with trying to map out sounds and structuring that implied rhythms that weren't necessarily there. And that's when you get to songs like Underground and Groundwork. From there, you start getting into the collaborative nature of it, because even in Underground, in the lyrics of that song, what's happening is, is that we had gone to Rwanda to meet, you know, to start casting and to shoot the sizzle reel, and we met a lot of Burundian refugees who started sharing their stories, and the stories that they shared, aspects of those stories are found in that song, Underground. Like, first they cut the radio, then they cut the television. They locked down the internet, then locked up the opposition. And that came from us sitting around talking about this is what happened, and how they crossed the border and the whole nine. And so that was the, the, the moment of, of collaboration. That's when it started. And from there, the collaboration with Kaya, who wrote Mr. Google, the, the collaboration with the Himbaza Club, the, the Burundian drummers, that all started taking shape after we met in, in, in 2016. That was part of the beauty of Anisi and I collaborating on it. I'm at home working on sounds, 
as I'm working on this script and story and Anisia is sourcing images and color palette and all this stuff and hearing the music. Sometimes I will hear something and discover that this is this character and then this moment would be more related to that moment. And so, yeah, to see the birth of those rhythm and of those sounds informed a lot the images. There are artists like uh, Chief Ajwa, aka Christian Scott, Ganja Sufi, Dave Sitek from TV on the radio, Ted Hearn, My Brightest Diamond. There are certainly friends, like collaborative friends that I work with as an artist that at, in some way, shape or form may have helped or influenced or, or fed an idea. Many of the actors in the film are musicians. And so they came with, with something to bring to the music as well. There's one song, Shukara, da -da 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 -da, Shukara, with that the miners sing, which was a song that I wrote in English. And the, the character, Doro, who's played by one of the biggest rappers in, in Rwanda, uh, Kivumbi King, translated the song for me. And when he sang it back, it was so dope a cappella that we were like, you know what? We don't need the music for this. You guys just sing this a cappella. this works. We had to record the actors singing before we shot so that they could perform the playback on set. And so we would do that in most cases. There are a few songs in the film that are happening live on camera, but there are many songs that are happening with playback. And then when we'd get that back, we might even make more adjustments, add sounds, add layers, or what have you as well. So you've built this incredible world of Mitch and Frost. Will there be another film? <laughs> of course. <laughs> you know, I know you guys have been busy talking about the film, we've had loads of Q&As and everything, but I want to get to know you guys a little bit better. So tell me, I'll start with you Sol, what's made you mad, sad, and glad this week? We have Q&A's sometimes, I'm going to be honest, I get mad. I'm very happy when people come out, but sometimes I'm mad when people arrive to the film late. I'm like, oh. <laughs> it's not a concert, guys. It's not a concert. I want you to see the film from the very beginning. I don't want you to miss that beautiful opening scene, you know. Um, so. Because that scene is very important, especially. Yeah. Not going to give any spoilers. Yeah. To do that. yeah. But that first line. It, Hello? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first yeah, line is yeah. boom. Yeah. And when I heard it, I was like, huh? What? <laughs> but then obviously, as you think, huh? But without that first line, I mean, it really sets you up for the whole film. Like I said, no spoilers. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. You need to see it from the beginning. Yeah. And so that's, that's mad. Glad? What made me glad this week? You know, I'm actually glad to be in London as a New Yorker with, you know, who respects cities and, and loves music and fashion and, and vibes. There's a lot of strong vibes in London, you know, like I'm always happy to be in a city that has good Caribbean food, uh, <laughs> good African food, um, you know, heavy bass and, and good sounds, you know, and I don't mind shopping here sometimes either. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be in London and to have a few days here. It, that always works. Sad. Bon. I mean... Sad for, for me yesterday was being hit with the news of like um, the death of, of the American rapper Amigos. Um, also read the horrible news about uh, Davido's uh, 
son, you know, like uh, on the takeoff side, it's 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 the tragedy of of, of American violence, of, of just gun violence, senseless violence. Like when we talk about Black Lives Matter, um, it's not just for white people, you know. It's like we have to um, invest in ourselves, and I'm not talking about money or or generational wealth or that, you know, bullshit. I'm talking about just what it means to to value each other, to value the moments we share, um, and and to to realize the sort of toxicity invested in overt displays of bravado, manhood. These are all connected to patriarchy and racialized capitalism. Um, you know, um, it's all connected. And that level of bravado um, and machismo um, is just unnecessary. It's just unnecessary. Um, and and like I said, it's, we can we can connect dots and connect it to the racialized capitalism that that st- stands at the root of, of the system that we fight against that films like Neptune Frost fight against, um, and so it's um, it's a huge loss. It's sad. It's it's super sad. So so that's my most recent sadness and reflection upon sadness because you 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 see it happen. I have a poem called Coded Language, which I was inspired to write when um, Tupac and Biggie died, and and that poem ends with me saying two rappers dead, and that number <laughs> has gone way beyond two. And, and I still stand behind everything said in that poem about the power of language and our investment in, in this system that wages war on our psychological and emotional beings and, and inhibits us from becoming fully realized or from experiencing the greatest aspects of ourselves in our lifetimes. Mad. Since a, a few weeks, a few months, I think what makes me mad, drives me crazy, is what's happening uh, in this system that is like so willing to control women's body. It's crazy in 2022. So that that drives me crazy. Glad. I'm glad of what this film is carrying, and I'm glad that um, that it's coming out in UK. I think it's a gift that keep giving, and that makes me glad. <laughs> what are you reading right now? The last book I read is actually uh, I finished it last week, which was uh, Langston Hughes' autobiography, the first half of his, aut- of his autobiography, which is a really, really fun read, and I'm looking forward to picking up the, the second half. The first part goes up until the age of maybe 38 or something. Um, and so I was really inspired by that. And then the, the two books that I'm reading now, one that I, there's three, one is called House of Rust, which is a, a sci-fi book. Um, written by a, um, I believe it's a Tanzanian woman. 
and so I've just started that. I've also started a book called Power, which is a collection of Shakespeare speeches, um, all circling around the idea of power and corruption. And the third book is a book, uh, I forget the name, by Peter Brook on theater. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Empty Space. Yeah, The Empty Space. Those are the three books I'm reading right now. You're one of these people that can read more than one book at once. I can't do that. One book, and then done. And you say, what about you? What are you reading right now? Uh, well, the last book that I finished are the journals of Alice Walker. Mm. That is a funny ride, like crazy long ride. It's her journal since um, 1968. 60, I think it's 65 to 65 2000. 65 to 2000. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I did a big dive into Alice Walker because I, right before I read um, Temple of My Familiar that I had never read. read, read. Mm-hmm. And that was a discovery for me that was a inspiring you talk about layering narratives and and world building and, and and wow wow so I went into the journals right after <laughs> um, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to celebrate someone who do you really rate right now? Who are we gonna celebrate today? Hmm those women and people who rely with women with what's happening right now I think is very um, it's very present to our mind to my mind at least and, and I think in a celebratory mood because I do think that they are about to to have what they, they what they want yeah. I hope and I think it's crucial that we stay focused on those types of of fights right now just as because of the huge distractions that happen you know in the world and social media with celebrity and all this type of shit and the most important things going on right now right when you think about yeah those protests in Iran when you think about um, what what just happened in Brazil with Lula um, winning and the importance of that and you think about what happened Today, I guess, in, in Israel, I haven't, I'm not certain, but I think Netanyahu is back in power, which is horrendous, um, and, and thinking of Palestinians, and... and, um, and Celebration. Celebration. Oh, that's right. Who we <laughs> well, you know, and then we were what? We don't front like we weren't singing Rihanna for the Yes, Simone Ivetli. Yes, Simone Ivetli, Simone Ivetli. Well, yeah, and also on this front, you know, uh, Precious, Precious Okoyaman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, visual artist, sculptor. We were in Venice before we came to London, and so we were able to see some of the exhibitors, black women exhibitors, uh, particularly at at the Venice Biennale, and have been blown away. And then finally, celebrate yourselves. Tell something about you guys to make us proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. <laughs> How about we celebrate each other? Yeah. Okay, I celebrate you. I celebrate you. <laughs> Beautiful. And remind us once again, Neptune Frost, when is out, where can we see it? Remind us all the details. Okay, so Neptune Frost hits UK theaters um, November 4th. Um, 
we are across the UK, also in Scotland, also in Ireland, and wherever you are, we need you to go experience it on the big screen because the experience of the sound and to be immersed into uh, Anitia's imagery and, and all of this is really, um, it's, an, it, it's an immersive experience and you deserve it. And get more time, people. <laughs> you need to see the beginning of the film. Yes. Spoilers, that first line is very, very important. Anitia and Saul, thank you so very much. Thank, thank you so you. much for having us.